today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. You can let it define you, you can let it destroy you, or you can let it strengthen you. As we surrender our lives into the hands of the Lord, in the midst of those situations, whatever that event might be, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I can be strengthened through that event, no matter what it is, as we surrender to His great plan. If we understand, if we believe and acknowledge the fact that our God is sovereign, over all of his creation, then I have to understand that he is absolutely not only aware, but he's either allowed or he's caused that event to happen to my life. Your life can be strengthened through any event, be it good or bad. If you believe that the Lord is sovereign over all creation, you can find peace in the understanding that he has a plan for every event in your life. In his message today, Pastor David encourages you to surrender to the Lord in times of trouble. You won't be able to control the situation any more than you'll understand the potential outcomes. It's in your surrendering that the Holy Spirit will work to strengthen your faith. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Ezra chapter 1 as he begins his message, Temples and Towers. the book of Ezra. Actually, we're going to be in Ezra and Nehemiah uh, tonight. If you have a hard time finding Ezra or Nehemiah, go to 1st, 2nd Samuel, flip over to 1st, 2nd Kings, then flip over to 1st, 2nd Chronicles, then you're at Ezra and then Nehemiah and then Esther. Or if you want to go the other way, go to the book of Job and go backwards. Okay, So you'll find it right in that area. Ezra and Nehemiah. Let me ask you, have you ever noticed how literally our lives as we live them just in the normal course of events, they're continually this series of of turns and twists and so many of them are not planned by us. They just happen and we have to deal with them. Some of these turns or twists, they might be pleasant ones. Something might happen that, wow, it's a real surprise to us. While others, they come at us and suddenly it's not pleasant. They are what they are, and you can either let that event as bad, as discouraging, as hurtful, or as damaging as it is. You can either let that event define you, or you can grow and develop from that event. We were listening to a TED Talk coming back down from the White Mountains yesterday. And it actually spoke about this very thing, about how events can define you or you can develop and grow from those events. Even catastrophic events, even the most horrible events do not have to define you, but you can grow from those things. I've heard it said uh, before that when something bad happens, you have three choices. You can let it define you, You can let it destroy you, or you can let it strengthen you. 
as we surrender our lives into the hands of the Lord in the midst of those situations, whatever that event might be, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I can be strengthened through that event, no matter what it is, as we surrender to his great plan. If we understand, if we believe and acknowledge the fact that our God is sovereign over all of his creation, then I have to understand that he is absolutely not only aware, but he's either allowed or he's caused that event to happen to my life. So I can either fight against God or I can surrender to him, say, God, I don't understand this. God, I really don't like this. God, this is horrible what I'm going through, but I trust in your wisdom and I'm gonna submit to you. Help me to learn from this. Help me to be strengthened from this. There is a small book, and I keep meaning to try and find it, but it's just brought back to my memory. So I'm going to throw it out to you, so hopefully test your brain, and maybe you can find it for me. Uh, It was a book written just a few years ago. It says, don't waste your sufferings. Don't waste your sufferings. And it's that whole idea of how these kind of events happen to our lives. You think, well, what does that have to do with with Ezra and Nehemiah? I believe that it has everything to do with Ezra and Nehemiah. Because if you understand what's going on with uh, Israel, or at least the southern kingdom, Judah at this point in time, you realize they're going through a whole lot of things that they didn't want to go through. It was back in 605 B.C., that, that Babylon had gotten tired of the relationship of the southern kingdom, Judah, and Egypt. And so as they were coming through and they were fighting against Israel, they also pressed on through down to the south, and they defeated Egypt at that point in time. Egypt was an ally of the southern kingdom, Judah. Well, during that same time, a fellow by the name of Jehoiakim, he was the king of Judah, And as Babylon had surrounded him, they had told him, you have to pay tribute to us. And he decided he wasn't going to pay tribute. And thus, all of this battle started out. And as that rebellion rose, and as Nebuchadnezzar and the forces of Babylon got stronger and, and were taking more of the area and more of the land of Judah, they took a lot of the people into captivity at that point in time. It was during this that was called the, the first of three deportations that Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were, and, 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 and a host of other brilliant young men, smart, strong, intelligent young men were taken into captivity, taken up into Babylon. That was the first deportation. Uh, for the next 20 years, Babylon pretty well vexed Judah again continually with a variety of attacks, again forcing them to pay tribute to Babylon. And it got to the point in time of 597 B.C., following a long siege against the city of Jerusalem, that the city itself fell. Now, we talk quite often about 586 being the time that Jerusalem fell and the temple was destroyed. But earlier than that was 597, and still the Babylonians, they came in, they took charge over the city of Jerusalem, but they didn't destroy it. They didn't knock down the temple. They did not destroy the city at all. But what they did is they took more people captive, and they left there within Jerusalem uh, the poorest, uh, the most unable to defend 
defend themselves as survivors and caretakers of the land at that point in time. That's what's called the second deportation or the second exile. Many of those uh, went with them were priests like Ezekiel the prophet. He was taken to Babylon at that time. Nebuchadnezzar set up a man by the name of Zedekiah as the puppet king of Israel at that point in time. And he had to pay tribute to Babylon, and he did that only for a couple of years. Uh, About seven years later, 590, he decided, I'm not going to pay tribute anymore. I'm tired of this. And you you think you would learn from your predecessors, but he didn't. And he thought that he could stop paying Babylon. Well, in 587, Nebuchadnezzar and his armies come again. Once again, they laid siege against the city. And in 586, they broke into the city. They destroyed the temple. They flattened out Jerusalem. They were tired of playing patty cake with the children of Judah, and it was done. They were, they were finished with it at this point in time. Jerusalem fell. The temple that was known as Solomon's Temple completely destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. And in 586, the final or the third deportation or the exile to Babylon took place. Now for the next 70 years, major portions of the people of Judah were held as exiles there in Babylon, leaving again only the poorest of the poor and the feeble that that were left there in Judah. Life as they knew it was no longer. Everything changed. The city was totally destroyed. The place of sacrifice and worship completely gone. All the strong, all the wise, all the leaders, everyone gone. And you're there just surviving at that point in time. The world was turned inside out. The prophets of that time included men like Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Obadiah, Haggai, and Zechariah. These prophets continued to write, continued to declare over and over to the Jews that they were receiving actually the judgment of God against them because of their continued disobedience and their continued worship of these pagan gods that again, God said, man, don't be worshiping these foreign gods. Take them away from you completely. But they continued to worship them The prophets continued to warn them. And yet, even in the midst of the punishment that they were receiving, there was hope, even in the midst of that punishment. They they were to remain in exile, actually, for 70 years. Jeremiah had prophesied it. Jeremiah says, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, says the Lord, And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and and will bring them against this land. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. The punishment that God was bringing to them was only for a period of time. It was a period of time in the life of these people, the people that God had chosen for himself. He hadn't obliterated them. He hadn't destroyed them totally. He said, no, you're going to go to the woodshed. You're going to be in the woodshed for about 70 years. And I hope you'll learn your lesson at that point in time. Well, we're going to see that that's not necessarily the case. God had promised them 
through these same prophets that he was going to fulfill his promise to them if they would seek his face, if they would repent from their sinfulness, that he would restore the nation once again. Oh, It was also during this time of final exile that the Babylonian Empire, now no longer ruled by Nebuchadnezzar, but now ruled by his son Belshazzar, fell to the Persian Empire, ruled by a fellow by the name of Cyrus. And it's at that point uh, in the events, really, is when Ezra and Nehemiah take place. So you see the history of what's going on, children of Israel up in captivity, the Ezra and Nehemiah, the events here that we're going to look at this evening. Again, God was going to use actually a pagan king to bring about his will, to bring the people back to the land and to enable them to rebuild. You figure that they had been utterly obliterated, all of their goods taken by these overwhelming empires that came, all of their gold was taken, all of the implements of the temple worship were taken, and yet God was going to use these pagan kings to allow them to rebuild and restore Israel. The books of Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Haggai, uh, Zechariah, and Malachi all cover this general time frame in the life of the people of Israel. Their messages within each one of these books, they do have messages of hope, but they also have messages of continued warning against the children of Israel. God had taken you out of the land before, and he's more than able to do it again. So again, God's word continued strong on them. The book of Ezra is actually pretty straightforward. It's a a straightforward record of the Jews returning from the captivity and their efforts to rebuild the temple. And we find as we study through both Ezra and Nehemiah that a portion of these books and events actually overlap in time and in location. The first portion of Ezra doesn't even speak about Ezra at all. Ezra actually doesn't come on the scene till much later in the time frame that Ezra is written. Chapters 1 through 6 actually focus on Sheshbazar and Zerubbabel. They are government or or civil officials and leaders, and Yeshua, uh, the high priest at that time. Now, it's through their efforts and through their direction that an altar is actually built, sacrifices return, and the beginning work of the temple is started. It's during this time period where we have the first of the exiles that begin returning. A little bit later on, when Ezra enters the picture, he brings with him a time of reformation, a time of spiritual renewal. It's during that time frame that Nehemiah would have also entered the picture. So just kind of give you a general overview. So let's look at the book of Ezra. There in the opening passages of the first chapter of Ezra, we read of a proclamation made by a man by the name of Cyrus, king of Persia. We read... Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing saying, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me. Now this is the king of Persia. Now that's a pretty wild declaration that he's made right here, but we'll look at that a little bit more. 
He goes on to say that it's the Lord God of heaven who has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the freewill offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. A lot of people look at that and they recognize that, again, the the God of Cyrus's recognition of the God of Israel could have very well been and most likely had been through the influence of Daniel. Remember Daniel at the first deportation, he quickly rose to prominence in uh, Nebuchadnezzar's court. And when the Persians came and overtook the Babylonians, Daniel still maintained his position and leadership as, again, a counselor of the kings. I believe that through that, Daniel, as, as he rose through both of those things, God had preserved him, God had kept him, and God used him in the midst of that. As a matter of fact, you don't need to turn there, but in Daniel chapter 9, we read, in the first year of Darius, the, the son of Azarus of the lineage of the Medes, and this is actually, most of them believe that this, they are actually talking about Cyrus, the king of Persia, the Medes and the Persians, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Now, if Daniel writes that, and it's in the time frame where Cyrus is the ruler over Persia at this point in time, I believe that he's given that same information to Cyrus because we don't read anything in here where somebody came and petitioned Cyrus. Hey, let us go back and build. No, he says that the Lord God of heaven spoke to me and said, hey, it's time for you guys to go back and build. This is a pagan king. One of the things we know historically, he didn't become just a a solid believer in Jehovah, the God of Israel. He still believed in a multitude of gods. But now this one he also saw as a very, very powerful God. And so he decided he would go ahead and follow through and as that word had come to him, as the understanding came, whether it be God through a dream or whether it be through the teachings of Daniel, he now calls for them to go back. But one of the most amazing pinpoint prophecies that we find in scripture actually took place 150 years before Cyrus came in to rule. God had actually declared his name and his purpose through Isaiah the prophet 150 years prior to this, called him by name. And I believe that probably Daniel even referred that to him too. Isaiah, look, listen to what Isaiah has said about you even, had called his name. We won't look at that, but in your time, look at Isaiah 44 and 45 where his name is mentioned. However it was that God moved 
Cyrus not only allowed it, but he helped finance these exiles return to Jerusalem in order that they might rebuild the temple. And many of the other Jews in exile, they added to the support. And in chapter two of Ezra, he tells us that nearly 50,000 exiles returned to the homeland of Israel to assist in the rebuilding of the temple. Now we could go through chapter two. I could slaughter every one of these names, give you all the numbers, but just take it from me, it's about 50,000 that are there that are now going back to Israel. As they arrived in the land, they began to get settled. One of the first things that they desired to do was to give glory to God for their return, for their safe return, and for his provision for all of the work that laid ahead of them. Look in chapter 3, if you would, beginning in verse 1. And when the seventh month had come and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. Then Yeshua, the son of Yazadik, and his brethren, the priest, and Zerubbabel, the sons of Shealtiel, and his brethren, arose, and they built an altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Though fear had come upon them because of the peoples of this countries, they set the altar on its bases, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both morning and evening burnt offerings. In chapter, or verse four, it says, they also kept the Feast of Tabernacles, as it's written, and they offered daily burnt offerings in the number required by ordinance for each day. Afterwards, they offered the regular burnt offerings and those of the new moons, and for all the appointed feasts of the Lord they were consec- that were consecrated, and those, of, and those of everyone who willingly offered a free will offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, although the foundation of the temple of the Lord had not been laid. In other words, that whole task was before them. They just came in there so excited about being there. They wanted, the first thing they want to do before they even stick a shovel in the ground is, man, we need to build an altar. We need to give glory and praise to God for allowing us to be here. What a miraculous thing that Cyrus has financed us. Cyrus has called for us to come, and now we are here in this land. Ahead of them was a major task, the rebuilding of the temple, and yet they recognized from whom their help was gonna come from. Yes, Cyrus was part of the plan, but the reality was their help was coming from Almighty God. And as they began the work, one of the first things that needed to be accomplished was the setting of the foundation stones. It was an amazing emotional time for everybody that was involved with it. When they laid the foundation of the temple, the priests and the Levites, they led the people in just giving and singing praise to God. Look here in chapter three, down in verse 11. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. For he is good, for his mercy endures forever toward Israel. And then all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Verse 12, but many of the priests and the Levites and heads of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first temple, they wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted aloud for joy so that the people couldn't discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout and the sound was heard afar off. 
What an amazing time that had to be. Were all 50,000 of them there? Well, I bet you the major portion of them were there. You know, when you get a full house and people begin praising the Lord, how powerful that is. Can you imagine 50,000 people singing and proclaiming and crying out to the Lord? Surprisingly and sadly, too many followers of Jesus are Bible illiterate. They know a few basic names or facts, but the abundance of truth and love inside this great text is getting lost. This is why Pastor David feels it's necessary to take some time to work through the Bible in this series, and we're so glad you've joined us here on The Open Word for it. Each time you tune in, Pastor David will be giving you an accurate and succinct dialogue of a book of Scripture, pointing out the key passages and truths that everyone needs to be aware of. If you missed any part of today's message or any part of this series, we encourage you to visit our website. You'll be able to listen again at theopenword.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, and please feel free to share these teachings with your friends and family. Everyone can benefit from this Through the Bible series. Are you in the Casa Grande area? If so... Pastor David has an invitation to extend to you. Every message you hear on The Open Word is one that I shared here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande, a great church where I enjoy my role as senior pastor. I'd love to see your face next time I get up to teach, and I'd really enjoy meeting you afterward. Please consider coming on out and joining us this weekend. You'll be able to find all the information you need at theopenword.com. Just click the Calvary Chapel link at the bottom of the page See you there. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all for today. But join us next time to continue through the Bible here on The Open Word.